Hello and welcome to Sound Strategic. I am Maya Nowens. In today's episode, we'll be turning to the maritime domain and looking in particular at recent developments in the UK's Royal Navy. On the 22nd of May, HMS Queen Elizabeth, the UK's newest aircraft carrier, sailed from Portsmouth on her maiden operational deployment at the heart of the UK's carrier strike group in 2021. The commodore of the carrier strike group, Steve Morehouse, called it the most important peacetime deployment in a generation. The carrier strike group will visit 40 nations over the next seven and a half months, including in the Western Pacific. And the deployment forms part of the UK government's Indo-Pacific tilt, as set out in its recently published Integrated Review of Security, Defense and Development and Foreign Policy. But how does the Royal Navy fit into this wider strategy? And with its limited resources, how prominent will the Royal Navy's Indo-Pacific presence be in the near future? Joining me to discuss all of this is Nick Childs, Senior Fellow for Naval Forces and Maritime Security at the WIWS in London. Nick is responsible for the Institute's analysis of naval forces and maritime security and for the data on sea power capabilities published in the WIWS's Military Balance book. His particular expertise lies in the study of naval forces of Russia, the US, China, and the United Kingdom, as well as naval and maritime policy and strategy. His recent work has looked at the aircraft carrier capabilities and submarine and subsurface warfare developments around the world. Before joining WIWS, Nick worked for the BBC for more than three decades, most recently as world affairs correspondent, but also their defense and Pentagon correspondent. Welcome back on the show, Nick. Mayor, it's very good to be back and talking to you. So Nick, you recently hosted the Royal Navy's first Sea Lord Sea Power Conference at the WIWS, at which the Secretary of State for Defense, Ben Wallace, and the first Sea Lord, Tony Radican, both spoke about the importance of the carrier strike group deployment why is this deployment so important to the UK? Well, I think there are a number of reasons, Maya, for that. And one of, the, one of them is the fact that this, this capability, this new regeneration of the Royal Navy and the UK's aircraft carrier capability has been a long time in the making. It's been a 20-year project. And it's, it's, it, it, it was overall an attempt to step back up the strategic ladder in terms of being able to project uh, maritime-based power uh, globally uh, and that's what that's what we're seeing it happens to come at a particularly important time a watershed moment in in, in lots of ways both in terms of you know global geopolitics and 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 the the intensification of global competition which has a very maritime flavor to it in in, in many ways but also a, a watershed moment for the uk uh, as it reshapes its its role in the world uh, post-Brexit, um, uh, sort of looking out more to the far horizons again and, and having a global perspective. So all of those things, I think, have come together uh, with this, this the deployment setting out to the Indo-Pacific region and back. And it's so it's very em emblematic in that sense of showing uh, the UK's uh, re-engagement really, and, and tilt, as you say, towards the Indo-Pacific in a significant way, being able to show that, that the UK uh, can deploy a, a significant maritime capability into the region to uh, support uh, what the UK sees as its own interests, but, uh, but but also its values, but also to help build 
partnerships. Uh, and I think that will be one of the elements and the messaging that you will see uh, during the deployment is that uh, that this is th th this is about engaging engaging with the region, showing a, a, a capability that, that that can can be deployed and and others can can interact with um, uh, over a period of time. Right. And on the issue of um, partnerships, as you mentioned, the integrated review makes specific mention of this and states that the carrier strike group in particular will help the government deepen its diplomatic and prosperity links with allies and partners around the world. How important do you think the UK's gunboat diplomacy is at the moment and specifically to the Indo-Pacific region? What do you think the UK is hoping to achieve with this? Well, I think it's it, it's going to unfold at a, a, a at a number of levels. Um, the carrier strike group deployment is, as I say, um, uh, very uh, emblematic and and receiving a lot of attention. And um, we shall see that uh, that you know, over the period there will no doubt be other carrier deployments uh, uh, into the region in the future. But one of the one of the key aspects of I think the uh, the maritime element of the, of the UK's Indo-Pacific tilt is that it's going to be a combination of, um, if you like, the, uh, the 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 wow factor of, of of showing a real real capability periodically that that, that can be deployed and that can uh, that can fit into um, to partnerships with other with others in the region. Uh, but over the longer term, you'll you'll also see the 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 Royal Navy and the UK in a maritime sense. Uh, being deployed uh, more persistently at a lower level uh, in in order to try and maintain a, a a commitment to the region. So it's those two things that are that are coming together. Uh, the, the challenge, really, uh, particularly in a world in which we're living at the moment and and as it is evolving, where. The, the maritime domain is no longer the sort of benign superhighway to, to 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 project power, but is but is a contested environment in itself. It's getting the balance right between um, uh, a, a, a you know significant pulses of capability, if you like, and and a more persistent and and, and committed uh, level of capability. The, the 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 Royal Navy, the UK navies generally can't can't do it all all the time so they have to balance uh, how they operate uh, uh, what level of persistence and that but also what level of credibility they can maintain a presence and I so I think we'll see those two things unfolding over time and a, clearly a part of that is also um, connecting with and partnering with and engaging with uh, with with other nations in the region as well so what do you who do you think that the UK when it talks about strengthening partnerships who who do they mean um who is the uk looking to uh partner with uh to strengthen its relationships with in the indo-pacific region i mean we know that the uk has a strong relationship particularly in the maritime domain with countries like japan um is that who uh they're referring to or, or is there an interest in broadening uh the the partnerships that the uk currently has I think it's. I think it'll be a, a, a trickle effect, really, Mayor. I mean, there are there are a number of um, there are a number of uh, uh, boxes that are that, that are going to be 
ticked as far as the UK is concerned. One uh, clearly is the fact that um, uh, the UK has, you know, significant uh, defence and security arrangements, the five powers defence arrangements with with key players in the region. So it'll be a sense of re-engaging and 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 providing you know real capability and, and acknowledging relationships there. There are the uh, there, there is a an ex- an extremely um, uh, close and significant relationship uh, with the United States, and and part of that is seen in the fact that uh, this carrier deployment is is taking place with a significant amount of United States uh, engagement and support. Um, uh, part of the air wing of the carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth is an American squadron a uh, US marine corps squadron alongside a, a UK squadron of of F35B so that's an important uh symbol i think of what uh the UK and the United States would call the interchangeability of capabilities that they can demonstrate uh and and the and the integration of capabilities that they can demonstrate there's a US destroyer going along with the with the carrier strike group as well as well as a a Dutch destroyer that's 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 also part of this sense of providing partnerships and and demonstrating partnerships uh, but also the the convening capabilities that the UK can provide with a carrier strike group that uh, that that allows others to to join a, a sort of gather round capability so so there so, so there are those elements to it and then there are those other um, key players that, uh, that the UK is developing significantly uh, closer relationships with, and, and, uh, and Japan is one of those. I think uh, um, uh, developments and, and to some extent also increased cooperation and, 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 and future cooperation with, with the likes of South Korea are also on, on the cards. But as you, as you say, there are multiple, there are multiple uh, aim points in all this. And that is, that is one of the values of maritime power that you'll be seeing, I think, demonstrated with the carrier strike group is that although it's a, you know, a significant concentration of, of forces, uh, ships can move, ships can disperse, groups can, can, can disperse as well. So, so there will be, there will be many different prongs to this uh, deployment over the period that uh, it unfolds. What do you think for the view from the region is? Do countries like Japan view the carrier strike group and this idea of persistent engagement that we've heard uh, mentioned multiple times over the course of the first Sea Lords conference, um, do they view that as helpful or just as um, signaling uh, a political symbol uh, of the UK's uh, commitment to the region? Is this practical or, or just symbolic? I think that's a question that uh, that, that is being asked. Uh, I'm sure that is the case. And uh, um, one of the issues I think is 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 how how it will all unfold. I think as far as as far as the region is concerned, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a sense, particularly from the, the likes of uh, you know the US, Japan, Australia, that you know there there is that there is plenty on the defence and security plate, including in the maritime sphere, in the um, in the region, uh, it is a tough neighbourhood. It's getting tougher, um, and therefore, um, you know, support, um, uh, partnering, uh, and and so on and so forth is welcome. But it's welcome if it is uh, emblematic of a, an enduring 
commitment and an enduring uh, relationship out there. So I think that though there are the two elements of that. There is the there is the welcoming of a what will be a significant capability uh, that will 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 add uh, to um, to the maritime uh, uh, capabilities that are out there, uh, and uh, will also um, be part of what would one would describe as. Uh, potentially the development of future future networks there are you know japan south korea are all for example um, you know contemplating developing maritime aviation capabilities not unlike those that uh, are, are embodied in in hms queen elizabeth with the f35b uh, aircraft on board so so those will be uh, in, important parts of the of the um, relationship no doubt uh, down the years, uh, but um, but it is that question of um, what comes next, and and clearly at, at a certain level the, uh, the the UK is is in planning to engage on a more persistent basis, not with aircraft carriers, but with a more persistent deployment of of more modest uh, units. Initially, uh, offshore patrol vessels, admittedly the more most most modern and capable that they have. In the longer run, uh, frigates as as well, but also uh, the um, the introduction of 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 other elements, including this new littoral response group, which is a more more modest than the carrier uh, group capability, but that, that, that has will have considerable flexibility. So, so if those all, things all come together, I think that that will will is is what people are looking for in the region to see sustained. Uh, the issues, as far as the UK is concerned, uh, will will be. Uh, the, the question of, as I say, coming back to that balance of uh, can you sustain all this in a way that is credible, that doesn't uh, represent too much in terms of opportunity costs as far as um, finite resources are concerned and, and multiple other um, requirements and challenges as well. But also, um, does it measure up to what is the declared ambition? And I think that is that is the question. It's one thing to be persistently uh, deployed and 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 available and partnering at a certain level, at certain levels of maritime security operations, capacity building, that sort of thing. That's all. That's all valuable and and, and symbolic of a a commitment. Um, but there is also the implications that um, you know that, that that there will be. Uh, you know, a commitment to to deploy to to be able to back up um, the declared ambitions to support you know the rules based order and, and and support norms and rules as well. So so it's when those tests come that I think will will be significant. I mean, speaking of tests, um, and 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 we've already spoken about the the rule from uh, the view from the region. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit. Of course, the elephant of the room here is China. We've seen in the past that China has viewed the Royal Navy sailing through the South China Sea as a provocation, it called it, um, following a freedom of navigation exercise by HMS Albion in 2018. The UK's bilateral relationship with China cooled off slightly, um, and both the First Sea Lord and the Secretary of State, um, Ben Wallace, have emphasized that the Royal Navy intends to be confident but not confrontational. Um, what do you think this means and how do you think China will react based on um, past experiences, which I know you followed very closely in your work here? I think it's, uh, it's, it's an important question. And um, I think um, 
we shall have to see to some extent. But there's no there there, there is no doubt that 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 China certainly in some of the signalling that we've seen has not has not been overly excited about the idea of uh, of the carrier strike group um, deploying to the region and questioning questioning the re- reasons behind that. Um, and 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 clearly, you know, part of the um, the issues and the friction points are around uh, the sorts of things that uh, that the carrier strike group uh, will will aim to to um to uh, demonstrate a freedom of navigation and, and 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 that sort of thing so i think there is a potential there and i'm sure that is in the minds of and has been in the planning uh processes of uh the the uk naval leadership and and in, in terms of engaging with 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 allies in the region that there is almost certainly likely to be a considerable amount of attention uh from beijing on um how uh group will deploy and 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 there there is you know potentially going to be some some sort of reaction some sort of close close scrutiny shall we say of the uh of the carrier group as it uh transits around the region but how that exactly will unfold i think will depend to a to some extent on events depends uh, depend on the, the the you know the temperature of the global situation as the as the carrier and, and its group deploys around, and and just what the posture will be of the of the group, as I say, you know, the ships uh, uh, oper- can operate together, can operate separately. Just how they will deploy at any particular point during uh, the uh, the mission out to the region, with whom I think will all be part of the. Um, talked about gunboat diplomacy the 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 maritime defense engagement um dance that we will probably see unfold over the next seven and a half months i like how you described that more than uh, how i described it um with regards to what the royal navy can actually offer to the region um aside from gunboat diplomacy um what do you think the royal navy's strengths really are here and um, you know in particular the region yes, faces um, uh, many maritime challenges, uh, many challenges in the maritime domain, rather. Um, but these all operate uh, or, or significantly operate, I think, below the threshold of, of conflict. Um, where do you think the Royal Navy can play a role in helping small and medium powers manage or push back on some of the gray zone threats that they face? Well, I think one of the things that... Uh, uh certainly uh, Royal Navy admirals would would argue is that, that, that they have um, the Royal Navy is one of the, f- the few navies that can can deploy um, globally and and has you know a significant range of capabilities that it that, that it can offer some of them some of them fairly fairly unique or at least um, involve membership of some um, fairly exclusive clubs and and you know Global carrier deployments are, are, are right at the top there. Nuclear submarine deployments, that sort of thing. So all of those things potentially are of value in different ways to different to different partners in the region as 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 kind of key capabilities that make a difference at certain at certain levels. In terms of the um, maritime security uh, issues that, that that you talk about um a, again the royal navy has you know uh, a considerable amount of experience um deploying globally um basically down the years as far as um 
many deployments are concerned, uh, many of them in, 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 in involving maritime security issues. There is a significant amount of, of, of experience, training, skills, capabilities that uh, the Royal Navy can bring to bear. And, and, and will do so, I think you'll see that with the deployment of the um, of the uh, OPVs and, and then subsequently frigates as well. Also the the um, littoral response group that will uh, be set up in the in the region in the next few years as well, and and, and deploy around the region. Um, so those levels of training and skills and some you know key capabilities will I think all all be valuable. But I think there is also value for the Royal Navy in being in that region and for the UK as as well. And I, I think one of the the messages that came out of the first Sea Lords Sea Power Conference, not just from 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 the UK admirals, but from from many of the um, practitioners and officials from other you know key navies, the United States Navy, the French Navy, the the Indian Navy. We had senior representatives of of, of all of those. Is that it is the sort of multifarious nature of the um, of the challenges in a geostrategic context, but in a maritime context as well. The fact that, that they are disparate. It, yes, we focus a lot on the Indo-Pacific region, but the maritime um, challenges are, are themselves uh, global um, and occur in the NATO environment as well, uh, with a focus on Russia and what Russia's activities are uh, taking place around the the rim of um, of, of Africa, um, in the Middle East, um, in the in the Indian Ocean, and a key to being able to understand and respond effectively to those issues is being there, having local knowledge, maritime awareness, particularly for these issues that are come in what we call the grey zone and the sub the sub threshold levels where it is going to be knowledge understanding um uh visibility of what is going on and therefore an, a, an ability to be able to respond uh, uh in an effective way that will be key and so being there in some way shape or form um having no local knowledge is important as far as you know, the uk is concerned with its with its global outlook and its its sense of global interests um you mentioned again you've mentioned it a couple of times now this littoral response group um i know that the uk's defense command paper made specific mention of this stating that the uk will deploy a littoral response group to the indo-pacific region in 2023 now we're not all maritime uh, domain experts here or, or naval power experts so what does this mean and where do you think it would likely be based if this is a permanent or persistent presence in the Indo-Pacific region? Um, and in particular, how would this uh, smaller grouping rather than a large carrier strike group support the UK's interests uh, in the region specifically? What would its role be? Well, I think it will be a more modest group, um, but it will be a very flexible group. I think that is the uh, that is the formula, uh, and it's it, it's a formula that, that that others are looking at as well. The United States, I think, of 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 essentially a vessel that is, uh, if you like, a tool a, a toolbox of, of of capabilities. We'll have a have an embark force of. Um, of, of Royal Marines, probably uh, so a relatively small but 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 capable force, will probably have other supporting supporting capabilities as well, uh, and and that that will 
at a, at a lower level than the carrier strike group, be able to engage in a number of, of activities. And, and, and that may well be in the maritime uh, security realm. It may well be in what is in the Indo-Pacific region, I think, um, a, a capability of uh, increasing strategic value, and that is in the humanitarian assistance and disaster relief role. Um, but also uh, a group like that is a, a very good focus point for being able to carry out capacity building, capability building missions and, and assistance as well. So I think that is that is what um, what it what it will be as as it unfolds, and and the Navy is experimenting with with how that will develop uh, right now. Um, and, um, and 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 as far as um, its future capabilities are concerned, I think those are where those are where the the focus uh, will 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 be as far as uh, uh, as far as the littoral response group is concerned. Um, and I think it will have a, a fairly roving roving brief as well. And and as its name implies, it will be responsive to uh, to demands as they unfold. And both the Integrated Review and the Defence Command paper talked about the Indo-Pacific region as an important area of focus for the UK. But of course, on the other hand, they also emphasize the UK's unwavering commitment to the Euro-Atlantic era. And you've already mentioned the challenges, for example, by, by an increasingly assertive and aggressive Russia. So how is the UK and in particular the Royal Navy going to balance these two commitments? Does it have the resources to even do so uh, effectively, do you think? I think it, I mean that is one of the questions that keeps coming back as far as um, as far as the UK's ambitions as set out in the integrated review and the defense command paper are concerned uh, it keeps coming back is does it all add up it it feels uh, to some extent in terms of the narrative as if it's a case of doing everything an indo-pacific tilt and yet uh, um, as, as you say a sense that uh, that NATO is very much at the at the core of of uh, immediate concerns and and, and capability requirements and strategic requirements uh, and of course you have it in the in, in if you like in the context of the um, carrier strike group uh, which is both, being portrayed and paraded as emblematic of global Britain being out there and being engaged, not least in the in the Indo-Pacific region, and having a capability that uh, that can deploy with with significance into the region. And yet, at the same time, it is permanently committed to NATO. And now, the response of 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 the you know the first sea lords that sort of question uh, is it does add up because ships move. That is one of their great values uh, strategically is that you can deploy them between theatres um, you know, fairly rapidly uh, in, in terms of a significant capability. And, and that is one of their virtues. Uh, and, and that is true. It is also an issue in terms of uh, reassurance as far as commitments are concerned because it's one thing to reassure um, people in the Indo-Pacific region of a commitment by deploying a carrier strike group, uh, but if you can move it just as quickly, then 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 that slightly undermines it. So it's, so again, it's back to that balance, and it's also a question of yes, you can move move these um, capabilities fairly quickly, but if you have events unfolding simultaneously, then that presents a problem. Even the most capable 
ships these days, even with the new technologies that they have, uh, can only be in one place at one time. So I think that that law of physics still still applies. So the you know the response to that to some extent is uh, uh, that you must look at all these in the round over time uh, and it's not not even just naval forces it's not even just military capabilities as far as the you know the uk's new posture is concerned and and the defense secretary made this point as well it's all the other levers of um government that act over time the the you know the the, the key in terms of of the you know the premium value i suppose to some extent in 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 making it all add up is you know being able to have you know the integrated approach the domain knowledge uh the regional knowledge that you can judge as best possible when are the good point when are the good moments to apply a bit more presence to to you know to redeploy a carrier into in, in into the region um and 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 that is you know part of of that that judgment call that was is going to have to be made over time and we'll see if it does add up over the difference between the lower level uh, persistent presence and commitment that we see and the the pulsing as the as, as, as the term was used the pulsing of of capabilities at certain times to you know to be most telling um in, in as far as uh, the UK's ability to provide leverage is concerned but the the other enduring message um from the CPAR conference from frankly the US Navy downwards which is frankly the only really global navy uh, in terms of deployment now there are navies that have global deployment capabilities but the US Navy remains the only global navy but even the US Navy can't be everywhere all at once so that's when it comes back to these questions of partnerships and having partnerships you can you can trust being able to to um, align those those um, deployments, those uh, demands, so that uh, there is a persistent presence, you know, across the spectrum at, at, at a certain level. I want to give you one last opportunity to uh, highlight what you thought is, was the most interesting or, or illuminating outcome of the first Sea Lord Sea Power Conference. We covered a lot of ground, of course, uh, from. Um, the importance of the maritime domain in the competitive age, the uh, role of uh, the ability to innovate in this area technologically, um, uh, the economic drivers of maritime power, um, and of course, uh, uh, global Britain in the future. So what do you think is the one main takeaway from this conference uh, that you found the most interesting? Well, I think it, it's very much that the maritime domain is is back as a contested uh, contested space. Much of the post-Cold War world um as it unfolded had the had the maritime domain as a as an uncont uncontested highway really for the projection of mainly western power we're not in that space anymore um and uh, in in many ways the um you know the main friction points uh of particularly state-based um competition are at sea now um whether it's the south or east china seas or you know the north atlantic or the the, the waters around europe the baltic the black sea potentially the high northeast and mediterranean so that makes um the, the maritime very much a focus of 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 concern and, and priority um but also maritime forces i think uh 
have been shown to be very flexible uh, in terms of being able to um, to be hosts for a whole range of responses. Uh, the, the the issues and the concerns are over those um, key areas that um, th that are challenging, and that is being able to respond to those sub threshold gray zones how you do how you do that and that is down to uh, being present being able to understand what is going on being able to illuminate what is going on um, uh, but also being able from your um, intelligence and analysis to calibrate responses uh, such that you can credibly at the very least, uh, um, anticipate uh, to, and to some extent uh, also deter, you know, challenges. Um, and that is down to information, that is down to being able to spotlight and highlight uh, what is going on. But it's also, as I say, down to this question of, of, of partnerships as well, uh, being in being able together to be able to um, cover the cover the waterfront, if you like, and I think and I think those are the those are the key key takeaways that I took away from the conference. Nick, thank you so much for your insightful uh, thoughts on this topic and, and and for hosting such an excellent conference. Of course, I hope to have you back on the podcast again soon. May it's been great to talk to you. Thanks very much for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you happen to miss the first Sea Lord Sea Power Conference, uh, which the IISS and Nick hosted on the 19th of May, you can still find all the recordings of the keynote speeches and plenary sessions on the IISS website. Please do follow, rate, and subscribe to Sound Strategic wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and to keep up to date with all the latest episodes. And for more in-depth analysis of the key international security and defense issues from around the world, be sure to follow the IISS on Twitter, LinkedIn, or visit the IISS website. Thank you, and see you next time.